This was evident last week, and again this morning. I love being able to hear the rest of the church's voices outside. It was like singing alone all the time, and I do that pretty well in the shower. So, uh, so it's nice to be able to hear your voices here at church. Uh, Last week we started a sermon series called Advice from Above, and the goal of the series is to help you know how to get advice from God for life's everyday decisions. And so we're not talking about, and I said this last week, we're not talking about sin versus not sin. We're not talking about things that, that are specifically talked about in the Bible. Instead, what we're talking about is things like who to marry, which car to buy, where to live, what job to take, how to have uh, resolution in a conflict, and things like that. And last week I had just two main points. First of all, uh, I said that it was good to seek God's advice for life's decisions. And, and I gave you six reasons. Let me repeat them to you quickly. God, through the Bible, shows us that seeking His guidance and advice is important. Number two, people make bad decisions. God does not, so His advice is definitely better. Number three, God knows the future. You don't. That's what makes making a decision difficult. Number four, God knows our true motives. Number five, God is not overwhelmed by choices. And number six, God guides us to future joy. Then we said that... Uh, that In life's normal decisions, we can see God move in the Word of God. And so we talked about the reasons we know that God is going to give us advice if we seek it. We said that that in the stories in the Bible, such as Abraham being guided to a specific place to live, we see that God wants to give advice to His people. We see through the example of Jesus, who said, I do nothing outside of the will of God. I don't do anything unless it's what God wants me to do. And we see that when he made big decisions in life, he got away with God. And he said, God, what is it that you want me to do? We also saw that the Bible tells us that whatever we ask for, as long as it's within the will of God, then God is going to be willing to give it to us. He's going to say yes to those requests. And that has to include the advice of God. Number four, we see that Jesus declared... And He is God in human form that He leads and guides His people. And so we saw that last week. And maybe, hopefully, you went home and you said, God, I want advice on certain things. And and so, hey God, what is it that I should do in this situation? And when we read things like I just described in the Bible, how Jesus says He guides us, How God says, I'll give you whatever you ask for. How the Bible makes clear that God wants to just move you along in life. When you read those things, you expect stories like that of my friend and mentor, Jim Samra. He tells a story about, about how he found his wife and it's not normal at all. He, uh, he, he was going to college and, and he wasn't really interested in, in getting married. He thought it was just going to be him and Jesus for the rest of his life. And, and he was totally okay with that. But uh, through some study of Scripture and through God just putting different feelings inside of him and, and through his friends talking about their marriages, all of a sudden he realized that, that God wanted him to get married. And uh, he, he has Middle Eastern background in his nationality. And so he said that the idea of, of arranged marriages was not abnormal to him. And so he said, God, I want you to pick my spouse. I don't want to deal with it. I'm too busy. It's not important enough to me. You decide who I marry. I have one request. I don't want it to be somebody that I already know so that I'm not biased. 
said, I'll marry whoever it is. It doesn't matter to me. And so, so he says this to God. And then he waits. And one day he's sitting in a seminary class. And his professor's talking. And his professor says, I have a prayer request for my daughter. And as soon as he said that, Jim, Jim knew inside of him, without a doubt, that that was the girl he was going to marry. He had never met her. He had never spoken to her. And before that moment, he had no idea that this girl existed. He says that, that he went a couple months and, and he hadn't met her yet and he actually called the house to talk to the professor at one point and the daughter answered and that was their first interaction and he knew that he was supposed to marry her but he didn't meet her for, for many months after he knew that God was telling him to marry this person. And when we think about God's advice... We want it to be that way. And given what we saw in the Bible last week, we might come back this week and say, Chad, I think it's supposed to be that way, right? Shouldn't I have got an answer by now? But most often, instead of, instead of stories like Jim's, it seems like when you ask for the will of God, you end up frustrated, you end up feeling like this. That's the video cue. Oh, good thing it's my wife. I can't fire her. not going to be as funny now. <laughs> Try to be humorous. <laughs> it's not too bad. Do it again. <laughs> Pretty good. One more time. <laughs> they really like it, it seems like. Give, give us one more time. <laughs> when you pull it up on YouTube, it actually, and I don't know how they do this on YouTube, it just plays in, in replay the whole time. And so, it was like just this screaming sheep. And, and Jesus tells us, and this is the passage we talked about last week in John 10, we are like a sheep and He leads us. But so often when we seek His advice, we feel like that sheep. And it's like, ah! Like that. And we think, why is God not speaking to me? And there's only really two answers to this question. One is that you may not know how to hear from God. He may be talking to you. He may be saying things to you. He may be guiding you and leading you. And, and you may not have the clue how to listen to that. You may not know the way in which God speaks. And next week we will, we will discuss that and we'll start to look at how God speaks to us and how we can seek His advice for the decisions that we make in life. But there's another choice. It may be that God is not giving you advice. Well, I liked last week's sermon a lot better because you told me that he was. It, but it may be that God isn't giving you advice. Because there are things within the Bible that are clear where God says, look, I'm not going to respond to your prayers if you do this. And those things are summed up in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And that is our passage of Scripture today. And so, if you have a Bible, you can open it up with me. Uh, to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And here's what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. 
They are double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Now, the beginning of this, the first half of this passage is, is about trials. You say, well, that seems a little bit off-topic, Chad, to be talking about trials. But, but here's the thing that I think is important for us. I, I think that we need to recognize that when James talks about trials, in some ways he's talking about a decision. What James has in mind when he, when he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, is he has decisions in mind. Because every trial that comes into our life, no matter how difficult that trial is, really it's a trial because we have decisions to make. You see, the word that James uses is a Greek word that means a proof or a test. And sometimes when we think about these types of of tests and trials in our life, we jump to like these huge, crazy stories of persecution, like that of Romanus. He's a guy that I found in, in the book Jesus Freaks. And, and the story is this, he's being scourged and whipped, but instead of tears, Romanus sang psalms. The more the martyr said about Jesus, the more furious the prefect became. He commanded the martyr's sides to be slit with knives until the bones showed white. The prefect was astonished with Romanus' unwavering commitment to Christ. He threatened to burn Romanus. The prefect blasphemed God, saying, you crucified Christ, Your crucified Christ is but a yesterday's God. Romanus responded by preaching about the eternity of Christ. Then he said, Give me a child, O prefect, one who is only seven years old and not yet spoiled by malice vice. You will hear what he has to say. A little boy was called out of the crowd. Tell me, child, said the martyr, whether we should worship one Christ or should worship many gods. God is one and unique, the child answered. We children cannot believe that there are many gods. The prefect was amazed and said, Where did you learn this lesson? For my mother, the child answered. The mother was called and she gladly appeared. The prefect commanded the child to be whipped. The crowd of people watched and cried. The mother alone stood dry-eyed, reminding her child of stories from the scriptures of others who had suffered. She called to her son, Hold fast, my child. Soon you shall pass to him who will give you a crown of eternal glory. The mother smiled her encouragement. The child was encouragement and received the stripes with a smiling face. The prefect commanded the child's head to be cut off. The mother kissed him, saying, Farewell, my sweet child. When you have entered the kingdom of Christ, remember your mother. After the child was beheaded, the prefect returned to torturing Romanus. He was cast into a mighty fire, but a great storm arose and quenched the fire. Finally, the prefect, amazed at Romanus' courage, commanded him to be brought back to prison and strangled. Romanus and the child and the mom, they all had a decision to make. Am I going to continue to confess a faith in Jesus? Or am I going to deny that faith and save my own life? And when we read, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials, we jump to things like that. Just big things like persecution and and horrible sickness. But the real truth is, every time we make a big decision in life, we either testify to the truth of God or we deny the truth of God. James is clear here. He says trials of many kinds. And and while the the people that James is writing to will face persecution in in the future after that book is written, more than we will ever probably face persecution, the truth is James is saying every kind of trial you face, every decision that you have to make, I want you to consider it pure joy. And that's a funny thing, right? Because, Because we look at decisions and normally 
We hate having to make decisions. There is nothing worse than deciding on a new car to buy. You agree on that? There is nothing worse besides figuring out a car than to figure out a new place to live. It is stressful to decide what to do, as I mentioned last week, when, when a doctor's telling you you need to take medicine, but you're not sure that that's the right thing to do. Those are difficult situations. And James is saying to us, even in the really big decisions, like Romanus and the child and his mom face, I want you to consider it pure joy. He gives the reason for that in the next part. He says, because that, that, uh, those trials produce in you endurance. Now it's important to, to, to come to a conclusion as to what endurance refers to because the Bible makes a really big deal about this quality. It's not something that's, that's emphasized in, in modern day Christianity. We talk about faith and we talk about love and we talk about joy and peace. But endurance in the New Testament is something that the Bible makes clear is very important. In Hebrews 10.36 it tells us of our need for perseverance. It says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. It's a pretty big deal. Second Peter 1.6 puts it right between self-control and godliness in its list of qualities. And the Apostle Paul says that it's a great thing for followers of Jesus to have in 1 Thessalonians. Commentator David Nystrom defines it as this, deeper competence of character that manifests itself in various situations. It means active steadfastness, staying power, and a determination under adversity. In classical Greek, it referred to perseverance in the face of hostile forces. And simply stated, James is just referring to the ability to keep making decisions for God when it's difficult to make decisions for God. And so the picture that James paints for you and I is this. Every time that we make a decision for God, we say, God, it's not just about what I want. I want to do what you want. Every single time we do that, it builds up something in us that makes it easier the next time to do the same thing again. You see that? Uh, Now, in my life, we're currently testing... Out this theory, and let me just explain the difference to you. We're we're in the market for a car, and and normally, when we, if we, if we were in the market for a car, I would have got on the internet, I would have found a car that we could afford, and we would have purchased it, and that would have been the end of it. But because this sermon series was coming up, I thought to myself, well, I should probably test all this out, right? I mean, it's all good in theory, but but we should test it out. And so currently, I'm praying that God will lead us to the right car. And it's not that easy. Because it's difficult for us to not have a car. We, we have to come up here together every time. And when we don't, I have to ride the bus. On Friday, I ran 3.8 miles to catch a bus to come up here and watch Wilsonville High School play. The week before that, I ran 3.8 miles in 95 degree weather. And it was the worst run that I've ever been on in my whole life. I, it, it started bad and it finished bad. I had stopped before one mile was up to drink what I had brought. But it was carbonated. And so then every step felt like I was going to throw up. And, and so it was just horribly painful. And, and in those moments, I just want to go get a car. I mean, I, I passed a car dealership and it would have been easy to say, okay, here's what I can afford. I need a ride to the bus or I'm going to Wilsonville, one or the other. And, and, and here's what I think James is saying. Instead of looking at how difficult it is to not have a car, 
I can look at this situation and say, this situation, just a car, gives me an opportunity to build within myself a resolve to continue to do the will of God even when it's hard. You see, before we just said, well, go get a car, whatever. It doesn't matter what God thinks. It doesn't matter what God wants. It doesn't matter what's going to be used for God the best. All that is not a big deal. It's just a convenience thing. Let me go get a car. But now we're saying, God, what car do you want us to have? And how can we use it for your glory? We're waiting on a response and it's not easy, but I trust what James is saying, that, that this decision and saying, God, what is it that you want and what's going to glorify you and how much do you want us to pay and uh, what are you waiting for to show us the answer? Just seeking God in that way is building within us a perseverance that will make it easier the next time we have to make a decision or choose to make a decision based on advice from above. I believe that people like Romanus and that mother, they don't just show up one day and say, wow, I'm willing to give my life for Jesus. I mean, this is an easy decision. I'll let my child die to prove the existence of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus. I believe people like that have every day said, I want to make decisions for God today. And I want to decide the way that God wants me to decide. And they have sought His advice and guidance in everything. So when the big decision comes, the perseverance that James refers to has been built up so strong in them that it makes even these horrible, difficult decisions easier. And so what James is saying is every time that you decide to do what God wants you to do, you grow in your resolve and your ability to do what God wants you to do the next time. But that's not the end of it. I mean, that's nice. Perseverance is great. But James says that that perseverance, what it does is it moves us towards completion and perfection. James says to us, look, as you get the ability to live for God and make decisions for God, as that grows in you, it's moving you towards being what God wants you to be. Now, when we read the word perfection, it almost bothers us, right? In the book of James, like, whoa, nobody's perfect except for God and Jesus. Nobody. But James isn't talking about perfection based on our cultural experience. James is talking about a, a level of completeness. He's saying that that perseverance builds in us a character that does everything and has everything it needs to do what God has called us to do. And so James is saying here that if you want to be everything that God wants you to be and hopefully that you desire to be as a follower of God, then this perseverance is going to lead you there. That's why you consider it pure joy. Now here, here's the thing. I've heard a lot as a pastor this question. I just want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to move forward in my relationship with God. I want it to be better. I just don't know what to do. And James is saying, here's what you do. When you face decisions in life, you decide to try to do what God wants you to do. And that produces perseverance and that moves you towards completeness. Now James... He knows what the next question is going to be. 
You're going to say, well, that sounds great. I want the perseverance and I want to move forward in my relationship with God. But James, what if I don't know what to do? And so he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. He's saying, look, if, if any of you don't know what to do, I'm going to give you the solution. And he says, if any of you don't know what to do, ask God. Now, wisdom and advice from above are, are pretty similar. The Bible tells us that, that wisdom is, if I could just boil it all down, I mean, it's a pretty common subject in the Bible, but it's the ability to know what God wants you to do. He says, if any of you don't have that wisdom, if any of you are, are, are unclear as to what God wants from your life, what decision God wants you to make, then all you need to do is ask God. Now, we see a great example of this in the Bible. One of my favorite stories, and I'm glad to be able to tell it to you today. In 1 Kings 3, reading about a man named Solomon. He was son of King David. And God says, hey, Solomon, you can have whatever you want. And here's what Solomon says in verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. But who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon can ask for anything he wants and he says, Look, I want a discerning heart. I think some of us go, well, you can't ask for that. I mean, God was talking about money or something. I mean, He's not going to tell you exactly what you need to do in certain situations. But look at the response of God. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you. So the Bible says, look, Solomon is in a situation where he's like, I want to do things God's way. I'm a king. My dad was a mighty king. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm too young, but I want to lead these people and make decisions based on what you say, what your advice is. And God says, awesome. I'll make you wise and discerning more than anybody ever. We even read about him in the New Testament, about how wise he is. And, and here, here is a story that illustrates his wisdom. And this is, this is my favorite story, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive and your son is dead. While the other says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave the order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. 
But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. You see this story? I mean, this is not a black and white situation. But God has provided Solomon advice, wisdom, in order to make great decisions. For you and I who are not seeking the advice of God, not seeking guidance from God, we give the child to one or the other, right? Because those are the only decisions that we can see. Well, I think it's probably her. And then we choose. But he looks up because of what he has already asked for and sees the wisdom of God come upon his life and he is able to make a far better decision than any of us would have made apart from the advice and the guidance of God. And so we see what James is saying is true. If you lack wisdom, if you lack the advice of God for a decision, all you have to do is ask. You say, well, this leads us back to exactly what you said last week. I mean, we're right back where we started. What am I not hearing God's advice for? I mean, I've spent the last week since your sermon saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? And God hasn't said anything to me about it. Verse 6. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Now, on first glance, this is a terrible verse. I mean... I've struggled with this verse for years until I really studied it because it's virtually impossible to not at least doubt a little bit. I mean, it's virtually impossible not to go, God, I believe that you want to give me advice. I believe that you will, but I'm not sure. Isn't that almost impossible? And so when you read this, you say, well, that's nice. God wants to give me advice, but, but he, he expects full 100% cognitive belief that He absolutely will give me advice, and so there's no way that it's ever going to happen. Isn't that how the passage reads? Like, that's sweet, James. God wants to give me advice, and maybe guys like Solomon and Paul and David and Peter, maybe they, they could just know without a doubt that God would tell them who to marry, but... I can't do that. I have my doubts. And that is how the passage is is largely read. And I think people come to this and they say, okay, God, I will pray and I'll ask for your advice. And then a doubt creeps into their head and they say, well, I doubted and I didn't hear anything. I'm not going to try that again because it just leaves me frustrated. Isn't that the truth? I mean, haven't you been there before when the advice of God it just doesn't come and you go, well, I don't know if he's really going to do it and, and so I give up. I'm just going to go buy a car. But it's a total misunderstanding of this passage. You see, James is setting up two things in opposition. One is faith. One is doubt. James says when you pray, you must pray in faith and you must not doubt. Now when we hear doubt, we think cognitive belief and and just the type of doubt that you and I refer to. But the book of James, one of its major points is that faith needs to be connected to action. If you were to flip over to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, one of the most famous passages in James and one of the most infamous passages in the Bible it says this what good is it my brothers and sisters 
if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see what James is saying here? He's saying, look, faith is not about just some cognitive belief. He's saying, faith is a belief in God that results in action. And so when you go back to the first chapter and you read the word doubt, what I truly believe James is saying is not, if you have some question as to whether or not God is going to answer you, then you're out. You're not going to get any any of that good wisdom. No advice is coming to you. Instead, what James is saying is this, and this is so important as we move through this topic. James is saying, if you pray and ask God for advice and you are not willing to be obedient to whatever He says, then He's not going to give you that advice. Or, if you pray and ask God's advice while not being obedient to God about something else, then God is not going to give you that advice. You see that? The key here is not some cognitive mental doubt. It's about the life that you live and your willingness to do whatever God asks you to do. I think a great example, one I've seen, is this. young man says, I I don't know if God wants me to marry this girl. I'm asking God and saying, God, do you want me to marry her or do you want me to marry somebody else? We're sleeping together already, so what does it matter if, if we get married at this point? Why won't he just give me an answer? And you see, the failure is that this kid doesn't care to be obedient to God in the first place. God is up in heaven saying, I want to give you advice, but I can tell that you're not going to follow it by the life that you are living, and so I'm going to not give you the advice on the new thing. When you're already being disobedient to the first. What James is telling us is that if we want advice from God, then we must be fully sold out to being obedient to God. We cannot be living in sin that is unconfessed and unrepentant and thinking, well, I don't care what God says about this, but hey God, tell me what to do about this other thing. It just doesn't work like that. I think of marriages. I think a lot of people say, God, I just need advice on how to make my marriage better. All the while, not following the rules that God has set forward, men looking at pornography, men not loving their wives and putting them above themselves, women not respecting their husbands. God is looking down and saying, I'd love to give you the next step, but you're not following the first steps. You're not treating each other the way that I have told people to treat each other. I think it happens in in all aspects of life, where we sit around going, hey God, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this thing, but if you'll just tell me what to do about this thing, I promise that I'll do what you want me to this time. God wants to give you advice, but here's what God needs to know according to James if He's going to give you advice. He needs to know that you are striving to be obedient to Him 
in all aspects of your life. And He needs to know that you are going to do whatever it is that He advises you to do. You see, God knows whether you're going to say yes to what He says. Hey, Chad, I don't want you to buy that car and it's horribly ugly and, and, and it, it's the worst car you'll ever have, but that's the car I want you to buy. If He already knows I'm going to say no, then He's not going to provide that advice for me. And so the key for you, if you're not hearing from God, the key for you is to ask yourself, am I being obedient to God and am I willing to be obedient no matter what advice He gives me? Now don't hear me wrong. This doesn't mean that you need to be perfect in order to get that advice. James has already made pretty clear here, right, that these people that he's talking to are still learning perseverance. That's still growing and they're still being made complete. And so we're not talking about perfection. But we are talking about an obedient heart. An obedient heart that says, God, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. Whether I like it or not. Now for some in this room, this means that you need to to give up sin, that you need to do something that God has asked you to do. There's some of you know Jesus and 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 you try to live for Him, but but there's just maybe something in your life that that you're saying I'm going to hold on to that God. I don't really care what you have to say about that one. And you need to get rid of that if you want God to help you make other decisions. You need to get rid of it. Or if God's told you to do something, you're saying, God, I, I can't do that right now. I mean, that's, that just doesn't fit into my schedule, into my plan, into what I pictured for myself. I can't do that. Well, you need to start doing it if you want the advice and guidance of God. And so for some of you, it's simply saying, God, I know that you've been asking me to do And I know I haven't, and I'm going to change that because I need your wisdom. I need your advice. For others of you, I think this this just fits a lot of people in our world. You need to give your life to Jesus. God is calling you to believe in His Son and, and what He did on a cross when He died for your sins. And you probably, because most people come to this point, are saying, God, I'd love to know what to do about this, this, and this. And God's saying, I've already told you what I want you to do. I want you to accept my gift of salvation, and I want you to live your life for me. The truth is, God will not give you advice until you are obedient to His call to give your life to Him. The Old Testament tells about Saul. He preceded David as king. And there's this crazy story in the Old Testament. I'm just going to tell it to you. And and it tells us that Saul needed advice about a decision. He wasn't hearing from God. And so he consults a a medium. The medium draws a spirit up and the spirit refuses to give advice and says, if God's not going to give you advice, then... I'm not going to give you advice. And it's a weird story that I could tell in a whole other sermon after I figured out what it all means. But, but here's, here's what you need to hear from it. God declares to Saul, He says, I will not give you guidance because you have not been obedient to me. And so for each of us in this room this morning, if we truly desire the advice of God, if we really want His guidance, and we're thinking, I just 
I can't. Nothing's happening. I've been waiting forever and ever and ever and nothing is coming and I, I just don't hear God. The first thing that you need to do is examine your life and make sure that you're not being disobedient to the things that God has already told you. Are there things in the Word of God where you're saying, man, I'm not going to do it, not worried about it, it doesn't matter to me. Are there things that God has told you in your spirit you must do or you must not do that you're saying, ah, I don't really care. Has God called you to salvation and you have said, no, I won't do that, but please help me with this other thing. And if you say yes to any of those, you need to remove those things.